We have some friends uh, who, who attend this church uh, over in Salem, uh, and, and we've gotten to know them better and better uh, in, in the last couple of years, um, and, and there's a lot of things incredible about them. I'm going to, I didn't ask them if I could share their story, so I'm going to leave it vague and, uh, and unnamed here. Uh, but they, uh, one of the things that's incredible about them is they felt like God was calling them to add to their family through adoption. They felt that this was God's will for their family. And, and so they started praying on, on where and who that might be. And they felt like the Lord led them to adopt this, this precious little girl from Armenia uh, who, who is in this orphanage completely hopeless and helpless, completely uh, destined to a life lacking in love, maybe even, and, and I hesitate to even say it, but, but a, a, a life that would end tragically in death prematurely, death alone and scared, that was her fate. That's what she was faced with. We've got just a little bit of feedback. We, we might pull it back just a little bit. That, that's what she was faced with, and God led this family to see this girl and on no merits of their own, on no, uh, no, no merits of her own, uh, not because she's the cutest adoptable kid in the world, though she might be, right? Not because of anything special that she brings to the table. In fact, they, they knew going into this that she would bring special needs into their family. That would be a hard path for a family to, to walk. Even still, they said, that's our daughter. And with tremendous cost and tremendous hardship and tremendous pain, they went and they got her. They saved her. They rescued her. And, and the, the story has details I could go on for hours. It, it is so cool the way God orchestrated this to happen. But the, the lesson I want us to take from, from that story is just what a picture of our salvation, that adoption really is. Think about it. You and I, apart from God's grace, we are helpless and hopeless, alienated from God completely without any ability to save ourselves. Apart from God, we are destined for destruction. We are destined for an eternity without God. Nothing good awaits but God, by his great mercy, he sees us in our affliction. He sees us not, not only as orphans, but more than that, as enemies. And he adopts us out of that. He adopts us out of the wrath that we are due. He adopts us away from that and into his family. We're called children of God. God adopts us in. He saves us. He rescues us. We don't do anything to earn that. Just like this little girl could not earn a place in this family. She's not able. She's, she doesn't even know of the existence of this family. But this family sought her out. Just like God seeks us out, he finds us and he adopts us into his family. We become sons and daughters of God. This is 
one of those things, I've called this before, uh, a living metaphor. Uh, adoption is a living metaphor. It is a metaphor for the gospel. God uses in his scripture language of adoption to explain to us some deep theological truths about our relationship with him and our salvation and how we attain it. God uses the language of adoption, and specifically through Paul, as he writes his letters, this is a common theme for Paul, that he uses the language of adoption to explain deep theological truths. It is a metaphor for how we are saved. It's a metaphor for our relationship between us and God the Father. Adoption is this incredible metaphor with layers and layers of meaning, which I'm excited to to dig into and, and peel back some of those layers this morning. But more than that, adoption is a metaphor that we get to participate in as we adopt and care for orphans and widows in our families. We get to display the gospel which has affected us to the world around us. Right? It's easy for a person to ignore me when I'm talking you know, say I'm talking to my neighbor who is not a Christian, neither of them are. We're surrounded by non-Christians. It's awesome. I love it. And we get to talk to these people about Jesus, and as soon as Jesus comes up in the conversation, what happens? Things shut down. We get distanced. Things get real weird and awkward, right? Hey, not for me, not my thing. That's okay that you guys believe that wacky stuff, but, you know, we got our own thing going on. Uh, But when I get to share with my neighbors the, the awesome experience, in, in, in our case of foster care and caring for an orphan, who's going to shut that down, right? This is the most effective uh, means of sharing the gospel in our lives. This is so great. We get to show in the way that we live what God has done for us. That's adoption. That's caring for the orphan, It's caring for the widow when we support those single moms and and teen moms that need a little bit of help. This is true religion. So I want to get into this. Specifically, I'm talking verse 5, Ephesians 1.5. Let me read this again. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. We are predestined for adoption. And this tells us a lot of things. I specifically want to key in on three of these. What does it tell us about who God is? That'll be my first point. Number two, what does this tell us about who we are? And number three, what does it tell us about what we are to do? Who is God? Who are we? And what are we to do knowing those two things? Let's dig in. What does adoption, as the means of our salvation, tell us about who God is? Well, first, it tells us that he is a father. Of all the ways that God could present himself to us, he chooses father. Right? God could present himself in many different ways. Right? As, 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 and, and he does use many names for himself, but he could be, you know, the, the overbearing Lord. He could be the slave master. He could be, you know, whatever he wants. He's God. He, he could determine anything. He chooses so frequently to refer to himself as Father. God wants us to understand our relationship with God by calling himself Father and calling us sons and daughters. 
What does that say? Well, it implies a a tenderness. It implies a love and a care, right? God could be our great cosmic employer. God God could be our boss. What, What a relationship that would be, right? And honestly, this is how many people view God. I'm given tasks to complete by my boss. When he's not looking, I try to waste some time, right? And just run out the clock, can't wait till it's five o'clock, I get out of here, right? But God does not choose to show himself to us as boss, but as father. He cares for us, he loves us. He wants good for us. Now honestly, some, some of us, some of you, uh, have, have not had a great example of what a father can and should be. Some of you don't have a great example. And honestly, that becomes a hurdle as you approach God and you read this language about God as father. If your father was not present or if your father was, uh, you know, not showing this well in in any number of ways, uh, you, you might wrestle with this. And that's okay. What I want to encourage you with is God is a good father. He's a father that your father should have been. Right? He's a, a father who's always present, who is always loving, always patient, kind and considerate toward us, who always wants good for us, a father we can always go to and turn to with questions. God is the good father. And fathers in the room, myself included, knowing that God refers to himself as father should just a little bit terrify us. Right, Because now we carry the weight of responsibility to establish for our children how they're going to view fatherhood. And when they go and approach their Bibles and they read about God as father, does that make them cringe? Or does that make them smile and rejoice? I have four daughters and we have two foster kids. And I, I carry that weight, that burden. Fortunately, God is merciful and patient as I fail repeatedly. God is merciful and patient with me as a father to give me chance over and over again. And frequently, I'm going to my daughters, Ruby here sitting with me, uh, I have to go to her frequently and say, I'm sorry, I've made a mistake. I think it's one of the most powerful things we can do as fathers is to own our mistakes. Right When we just power through and we go, we can't show ourselves as fallible, I made a bad call, but I'm going to stick with it, what are we communicating about God? Versus acknowledging right off the bat, hey kids, I'm not God, I'm not as perfect as Jesus, and I'm going to fail frequently, but I, I love you and I want to raise you well and I want to raise you to, to love and honor Jesus. Right when, when we acknowledge our failings and our shortcomings, I think it sets our kids up for success in their understanding of who God is. But that is a heavy weight and a burden. But God tells us he is Father. First John, uh, if we can flip there real quick. First John 3, 1. I think they've got it for the, the, the screens. First uh, John chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. You see how tender and loving this is that God reveals himself to us as father. When he says he adopts us adopts us in his sons, adopts us in his children, this is uh, God's God's grace and his mercy on display, God's tenderness on display for us. 
So adoption tells us that God is our Father. It also tells us something about how secure we are in the Father's hand. Last week I read from uh, John chapter 10. Uh, I, I want to read this passage again. John 10, 28 and 29. Uh, let me find this here. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus tells us that, uh, that God is Father and that as Father, He is powerful. That no one can snatch us from the Father's hand. God as Father implies not only our relationship between us and God, but it, but it tells us something of our security. No one can snatch us out of God's hand. No one. That includes me. Probably the biggest threat, if I have to be honest, the biggest threat to snatching me out of God's hand, if it were able, would be myself. It would be my own failings, my own sinfulness, my own desire to go back to the wicked ways of my past. That power, if anything, would snatch me out of the Father's hand. But he says, no one can snatch someone from my Father's hand. When we become His, when we belong to Him, not even ourselves, not even our own failings can snatch us from God's hand. Isn't that a glorious grace? We can take peace and find rest knowing that He is the Father who keeps us. There is hidden in this language of adoption a few things that we miss in our modern culture and modern understanding. Uh, in, in Roman culture, where Paul is writing, right, he's a, a, a natural-born Roman citizen, uh, Paul, Paul had certain rights and he was very familiar with the Roman culture and Roman way of doing things. As Paul talks about adoption, he would have in his mind the Roman understanding of what adoption meant. And here's, here's some incredible truths about that. In the Roman culture, you could legally disown your own son, right? You, you, you give birth to a son, your rights as a father include, yeah, ne never mind the rain, it's going to get loud here for a minute. Uh, your rights as a father include, if, if, your sa if your son shames you or dishonors the family, if your son fails to live up to your expectations, whatever those might be, in Roman culture, you could legally disown him. You could remove him from the inheritance. He would no longer share with the other children in the inheritance because he's done whatever uh, shameful thing to the family and to the name. You could legally disown your son. Not so with adoption. And we don't know this and catch this and understand this, which is why it's so helpful to, to sometimes know the historical context of what we're reading. In Roman culture, if you adopt someone into your family, there was no legal process for removing them whatsoever. If you go into adoption with your eyes wide open knowing, I'm taking this child into my family or this adolescent or whoever it would be, into my family, I'm doing this with eyes wide open, fully knowing the consequences and fully knowing that then there is nothing they can do to remove themselves from my family, from my inheritance. They will have a share no matter what. 
So do you see when Paul says something simple as you are predestined for adoption, how there's layers of meaning there, how we can see something of our security, knowing that, that we cannot be removed from the inheritance. We share in that no matter what. That's really just scratching the surface, but, but that is some of what adoption tells us about who God is. Let's explore what does this tell us about who we are? Well, first of all, it, it says here, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Okay, so we got to talk about that. It doesn't say daughters, right? This is one of those passages that people will point to and say, see, the Bible is old-fashioned, it's out of date, it's not with the times, and for that reason, we need to dismiss it. In fact, some Bible translations even do us the favor of translating that to children rather than sons to help clear up maybe a little bit of clarification about God's intent. But it's, an, it's a terrible error to do that. This is beautiful. This is beautiful. And, and all the women are mad at me right now. It, it's okay. Hang on. This is, I, I have four daughters, right? I'm, I'm feminist. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> this is so cool because daughters in that culture, in that time, did not have the same rights as sons. Daughters did not share in the inheritance in the same way that sons did. But who's Paul writing this letter to? To the church in Ephesus, men and women. He's saying, women, you're receiving adoption as sons. This is more progressive, more inclusive, more honoring of women than it looks at first glance, right? This is saying, uh, years, uh, centuries ahead of its time, in, in, in whatever sense, it just shows that God has always had a heart for men and women that both men and women are created in the image and likeness of God. Both men and women have value. And, and what he's saying here is, ladies, you're not receiving adoption as daughters where you may not share in the inheritance. No, no, no. You get the full adoption as sons. Now, Paul wasn't trying to change Roman culture here. He's just trying to explain to the Christians something of their understanding uh, or something of their position with God. You need to know that you share in the full inheritance. This is honoring to women, not dishonoring, right? And at first glance, we can miss that, but I think it's important to see that. Uh, and it, I think it's important to see God's heart for both women and men, that it is uh, to be included in the family. Now, uh, another thing that we need to deal with as we talk about being uh, children of God, and, and I will say children of God to avoid confusion uh, moving forward, uh, children of God, sons of God, daughters of God, uh, there, there's a common misconception out there that, that everyone is children of God, right? We're all God's children. This is said to, to comfort, and it's, it's a nice thing. It's on coffee mugs and this sort of thing. We're all God's children. Uh, but it, it's not entirely true. We need to define terms here. Um, if we mean like a, a creation of God, then yes. If we mean uh, by children of God that we are created in God's image and likeness, yes, we all share in that. But, but when it comes to salvation, when it comes to being included in God's family for eternity, we are not, by default, sons or daughters of God. And it's important that we understand that. By default, all of mankind finds themselves outside of 
God's grace, right? If left to our own, apart from God entering in and, and choosing us for salvation, we are hopeless. We are outside of God's family. We are not children of God. In fact, Jesus even goes so, so far in, in, in John 8, 44, one of my favorite uh, verses, uh, one of my favorite stories as, as Jesus just puts some Pharisees in their place. He calls them sons of the devil. He said, you're, you're lying, cheating, stealing. That reminds me of someone. You do the things of your father, the devil. Of course, they get outraged at that, right? Uh, we're more like sons of the devil apart from putting faith in Jesus and being renewed by the Holy Spirit, we are more like sons of the devil than sons of God. And so our state, our status as children of God comes down to this adoption. The only way to be children of God, truly children of God, to share in the inheritance, to be a part of the family, to find a seat at the table is for God to adopt us into his family. We, we are not by default sons and daughters of God. We are by default probably the opposite of that. But God, by his grace, adopts us in as children. John 1, uh, 12. Let me flip over there here real quick. John chapter 1, verse 12. Um, but to all who did receive him, we're talking about Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Right? That's how we become children of God is by placing our faith in Jesus, by receiving Jesus, then we become children of God. So that's, that's who we are. We are sons. We are children of God. We are heirs. In fact, in Romans 8, 17, it says that we are co-heirs with Christ. That as sons, as daughters, as children adopted into the family, sharing in the full inheritance, we are heirs. We receive the blessings we are heirs of the promise for eternity, blessed eternity with God, our Father, forever in heaven. We have an inheritance, an inheritance that has nothing to do with this world but the next, right? Though we may struggle and, and, and we may not find a place here, though we may uh, wrestle with this world, though we may be rejected by this world, that's all okay, because we're not citizens here. We're citizens there. We're citizens of heaven. We're not a part of this family anymore. We've been adopted from the sinful world and into uh, the sinless, the incredible, the wonderful family of God. And so we look to that inheritance and we know in this life, whatever comes, whatever struggles, whatever pains, whatever hurts we face, we can endure knowing our inheritance is coming. Our inheritance is coming, and it's so much better than we can even imagine. We are heirs, co-heirs with Christ, the Son of God. We are co-heirs. We share in the inheritance due to Christ if we are truly His. Isn't that incredible? This is good news. We are sons. We are children of God. We are heirs, and we are predestined. I talked at length about this word predestination last week, but when we look at adoption, we can't get away from predestination. In fact, I had to work really, really hard last week to not 
launch into this sermon, which I really wanted to, uh, because then I would have nothing to say today. You're like, that would have been fine. Uh, but last week would have been long, let me tell you. Uh, no, like, I'm so excited about this because adoption is just like, it's the greatest metaphor to help us understand and explain what predestination is all about, to understand what God's election is all about, that he would choose us, though we bring nothing to the table. And it's important that we understand how incredible this predestination is. It's not that we had a place in the family and then we blew it. We were rebellious orphans uh, who, who eliminated their opportunity with God and then God's like, oh no, what do I do? And then plan B was adoption. No, he predestined us for adoption. At what point? Before the foundations of the earth were set. This is plan A. Adoption is God's plan for us. This is not plan B. This is not because everything fell apart and now God is frantically trying to put it together. Adoption as sons of God is not second best it's the absolute best. It's the absolute best. This is God's plan from the beginning before the foundations of the earth. He said, here's what I'm going to do because I love them. Before you were ever born, before the earth was born, God chose you to be a son, a daughter. He predestined the whole path. And he said, I, I'm going to adopt them. I'm going to choose them for life. I'm going to bring them into my family. They will have a place at my table. And it has always been that way. God predestines us. That is a part of our identity as children. That's who we are according to uh, this, this idea of adoption, this doctrine of adoption. Now what does this tell us about what we are to do what do we do acknowledging that okay I am an adopted son or daughter of God now what how does that affect my life that's a nice thing to know and I guess when I get to heaven I will appreciate that does it have any impact on my life today I would say yes yes it has actually everything to do with your life today it changes everything about your life today first of all uh, n number one, we pray to him, we pray to God as father. Knowing that we are adopted, one of the things we're to do is we're to talk to him. Uh, uh, Matthew 6, 6, Jesus tells us, refer to him, Abba, father. It's like uh, a, a, a word that would be like daddy, dad, right? It's, it's near, it's, uh, it's close, it's intimate. He's not a distant, far-off God, but we get to talk to him, Abba, Father. Uh, Galatians, uh, let's see if I can find this here. Galatians 6, nope, Galatians 4, 6. I was leading you astray. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son than an heir through God. So because of our adoption, we get to call him Abba, Father, Dad. He's near to us. We get to talk to him like that. Number two, we live as heirs, right? If you are an heir to an estate, 
an heir to a farm, an heir to a business, does that or should that change some things about your life? Don't you want to know about that business or about that farm? Don't you want to know about that estate? How can I run this effectively? Right? If someday this is to be mine, what do I need to know now to prepare me well for that? What are some habits I should have in my life? This, this is the same thing. If we are heirs, we should be thinking about the Father's will. We should be thinking about what God would have us do. And I want to be crystal clear. I feel like I have to say this every time, but we don't do good works to be accepted by the Father. We don't do good works so that we'll be adopted. You are adopted already. If God has chosen you, you are adopted. When we place our faith in Jesus, that seals it. We are adopted. We are heirs. Now, as heirs, we want to live according to the Father's will, don't we? We want to flee sin and pursue righteousness because that is consistent with what our Father would have us do. Uh, I, I read a story some years ago in a book called uh, Adopted for Life. Really powerful uh, book, and I, I recommend reading it. It's really great. It talks about all of this that I'm talking about, the, the uh, ties between adoption as a doctrine and, and adoption as a metaphor and, and as something to do in our lives. Um, and and uh, the, the author tells the story of when he adopted his son from an orphanage. I forget what country it was in, but he... Uh, uh, he, I, this is a little bit irrelevant, but as he's walking through the halls of the orphanage, it's silent. You think, well, are these really well-behaved babies? No, they're babies that have been left so long with no one responding to the cries that they've given up crying. He, uh, he adopts his son. He chooses him. He picks him up. He endures the cost, the pain to adopt him, and he's taking him home. And the first time he heard him cry was as they were leaving the orphanage. He was, he was reaching for the orphanage. He was scared of what laid ahead. The only thing he ever knew was that orphanage, which was horrible. Isn't that a picture of us? God plucks us from sin and he starts carrying us toward our inheritance. He starts carrying us toward blessed righteousness and don't we cry out and reach for our sin? It's all we've known. It's what we're familiar with. Don't we think by leaving our sin, we're giving up something we enjoy? Are we unaware like that child is unaware that what is awaiting us is so much better, so much richer, so much deeper? We should live as heirs of the promise in this world. And number three, and, and this is my final point, we should care for widows and orphans. Being adopted should give us a passion for adoption. It absolutely should. Being spiritually adopted, adopted forever, adopted for eternity, should give us a passion for adoption here and now today. James says it in no uncertain words, Verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. What is real religion? What is undefiled religion to care for the widows and the orphans? 
We have orphans all over the world. We have orphans in our own county. We call them foster children, right? They are children who need a home, children who need someone to love and care for them, children who need a father to break the cycle of fatherlessness that they are experiencing. We have widows, sometimes literal widows, sometimes we call them single moms, right? Moms who are left to fend for themselves, moms who have to care for this child on their own. What should we be doing as Christians? We should be passionate, passionate about the widow and the orphan. I think that this should start with, though not end with, this should start with giving money, right? Money is is such a small thing. We make such a big deal about it, but how much money does our God, how much money does our Father have? All of it, right? All of it. Uh, You can't tell me for a second that if we're generous with the widow and the orphan, that God's not gonna take care of us. I wouldn't believe that for a second. We should be generous with the widows and the orphans, whatever that looks like. We should be generous, absolutely. And, and listen, this is, I'm not accusing anyone of anything. I will be the first to stand up and say, I am not generous with the, with the widow and the orphan. Not like I should be. Moving forward, I need to be better at being generous with the widow and the orphan. Jesus tells us that whoever cares for uh, little children, the least of these, uh, is, is accepting him, is, is taking, I'm butchering that. Uh, it's Matthew 18, look it up. Uh, listen, Jesus wants us to care for children. That's the point of that. I should have wrote that one down. Uh, here's a cool story uh, as I'm kind of trying to near wrapping up here. Um, in, in Roman culture, it was common that children that were unwanted uh, maybe because the household had too many children and, and, and not enough money to provide for everyone, maybe because uh, the, the child was the wrong gender, maybe because of a, a disability or, or a deformity, a, a child would be left out to die of exposure outside the cities. This was a common practice. It's horrifying. And you know what? <laughs> uh, one of the coolest things about church history, first century Christians saw that and said, No, not on our watch. Christians developed a reputation for going out to the the garbage dumps outside of the city where children would be left to die of exposure and they would take them in and they would care for them. Some of them would die shortly after, but they would give them a name. They'd bury them in their tombs. They would take them in and give them a place. And of course, many of them lived and went on uh, to live healthy and productive lives. Christians said, we're not going to allow this. We've been adopted. We understand that. We are going to adopt some children. We're going to adopt a crazy amount of children. As many children as this city wants to leave abandoned, we're going to take them in. We're going to find a place for them. I think it's awesome. One of the coolest spots of Christian history. Uh, and, and today, we, we get to be about the same thing, right? I mean, as, as Christians, I, uh, I feel like I have to say this, like we, we tend to be fiercely anti-abortion, but are we fiercely pro-life? You say, well, well those are one and the same. No, no, they're, they're not one and the same. We, we are fiercely anti-abortion frequently, but what are we doing to support that life. My, my wife pointed out to me, she, my wife rocks my world 
regularly. Uh, and she pointed out to me, every single kid in foster care represents a mama who chose life. And she's struggling, right? She's struggling, that's why the kids are in foster care. She's having a hard time. But isn't that to be celebrated? Now she's maybe made some other hard choices, some, some other bad choices, let's be honest. But she chose to see this child through in a world where she didn't have to. Isn't that to be celebrated? As Christians, I think we should be fiercely pro-life, pro-supporting single moms, pro-supporting orphans, pro-foster care. We should be a huge support to the DHS office who, who goes through uh, employees and, and, and people like you wouldn't believe because it's so hard. They're being fought at from every angle, right? The, the families they're trying to help are, are kicking and screaming as they're trying to help them. It's a rough job. I don't know what they pay, but it's not nearly enough. Uh, we can support them. We can help them. There's so many ways we can be, uh, you know, as Christians that we can be caring for widows and orphans, supporting the systems that are in place to support the widows and orphans. It doesn't always mean necessarily uh, adopting. I'm not saying every single person in the room should adopt, although I don't think it's out, of, it's out of line to say every single person in this room should pray about whether or not adoption would be something God's calling you to. I don't think that's out of line to say. I think we should be praying for that. And, and I think that we should be praying about how can we help the foster kids. How, I mean, just imagine for a second. Imagine if Christians step up in this church and in other churches, in, in Salem and, and churches that aren't outward, right? All, all the churches around. Like, just imagine if as Christians we step up and we say, not in our city. We, we don't want, and, and this is a reality, right, that the DHS... Uh, they, they can't find a home to take someone in, and so they end up putting kids in hotel rooms for, for nights, for a few nights. Sometimes I've heard of stories of kids having to sleep in the DHS office as they're frantically calling and trying to find a place to put someone. Like, what if we said not in our city, right? Anyone who needs a home is going to find a home because a Christian knows how, how they've been adopted and out of an overflow of the abundance of the inheritance we're receiving, we get to go and be about that same business. Wouldn't that be awesome? What, what if, as Christians, we, we didn't look necessarily just to uh, the retirement years where we can uh, coast and, and take it easy and enjoy the fruits of our labors, but what if we look past retirement and we look at the inheritance that's coming and we know that's, that's where I get to rest and enjoy my, uh, uh, my real retirement, right? What if we see our life as, as ministry? I, I read a story last night uh, about a girl who um, was, uh, she had been in foster care since she was 11. Her dad died at two. Her mom died at 11 of a drug overdose. She had been exposed to drugs and abuse uh, her entire life up to 11, gets placed in foster care, remains in foster care until she's 17, 17 years old, going to high school, Knew a gal in the office uh, who, who knew of, of her and, and knew kind of this fiercely independent kind of spunky girl, right? Um, the, the girl had to rewrite her uh, permanency plan. And at 17, she realized adoption is not in the cards for me. Adoption's just not going to happen. Uh, she had been deemed unadoptable. Uh, and so she re rewrote her plan for what it's going to look like. She turns 18. She, she's got to go find her own place and strike out on her own and, and, and figure stuff out. 
I mean, how heartbreaking is that, right? Coming to that conclusion at 17, I'm just not going to have a family. Um, well, the, the gal in the office heard about it, heard about this change in her permanency plan, didn't even know that adoption was something she was seeking. And she said, you know what, I, uh, I want to take her in. So she uh, talked to her husband and said, hey, what, what if we adopt her in? So three weeks before she turns 18, this girl gets adopted into this family. You go, well, well what's the point of being adopted for three weeks? Well, just think about like, yeah, my wife and I are, are, are really excited about this. Uh, you know, in, once our kids are kind of grown and, and out, we, we've heard about this, this kind of thing where, where kids age out of the system. Like, where do you go for Christmas? Right? Like, who do you call when uh, your boyfriend breaks up with you? Right? And you, you need to call mom and just, and just cry about that and eat a bunch of ice cream or whatever. Girls, we're not there yet. We're not, I don't know. I don't know. I'm counting on my wife for that. I don't know. Uh, uh, guns, that's my plan for that. No, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you know, like, what, who, when you're, like, shopping for your first apartment, who do you take with you to help you make this big decision? All that kind of stuff, like... We can step in, people can step in and adopt these teenagers who are about to age out of the system. And it's a little bit different. It's not about necessarily raising them, but it's about being a place for them to go, a place for them to call. There's, there's so many ways to help with this. Uh, I, I realize my thoughts are a little bit scattered here at the end. I could, I could keep going on and on about the ways we can be about adoption. I, I hope we can, we can see this, we can understand how God has adopted us, what that means for us theologically, and what it, what it means for us practically. Uh, and and I, I hope... That, that we can really understand the theology so that we can go and be about the practical application of, of adoption. Let me pray. Father God, uh, thank you for adopting us. God, thank you for adopting me. I certainly did not deserve that. God, I, I certainly have, have done nothing to earn your favor. Uh, I, I, in fact, I was an enemy God, I was, I was your enemy, and you saw fit to adopt me into your family, showing me grace and mercy that I could never have deserved. God, thank you for the rich theology of adoption. Thank you for what that means for us on a daily basis. Thank you for what that means for our security and our place with you as father and us as sons and daughters. God, thank you for... Uh, the outpouring of grace which we've received. And God, I pray that as we sense and realize that our cup is overflowing with blessing, that we can direct some of that overflow to blessing those around us, to living out the gospel, to living out uh, an example and a metaphor of your uh, blessed gospel to those around us. God, by caring for the widow and, and the orphan, God, would you... Uh, would you move our hearts to be aligned with your will on this matter as with every, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.